It's the fight, y'all. It's the fight, y'all. Stand strong, know you belong. It's your anthem, sing this song. It's the fight, y'all. It's the fight, y'all. Stand strong, know you belong. It's your anthem, sing this song. It's the fight, it's the fight. Welcome, welcome. Come on, y'all want to give it up for the Lord. And for you out there in Facebook land, yes, we are making idiots of ourselves. At least I am. But we're having some fun, are we not? Don't we need a good laugh? All right, all right. Well, how many of you feel like when you are about to get started in the morning and you know that um, you need, you're getting up in the morning and you're ready to pray it up and spend some time with the Lord and trying to get it started, and you realize that maybe you might be in a fight. How many of you wake up in the morning ready to jump in the ring, excited to fight for the Lord? Amen. Yeah, I figured that. I didn't, I, I'm not hearing too many amens with confidence. Let me help you out again. How many of you guys, when you get up in the morning, you're ready to fight? You're jumping up and you're saying, Lord, this is the day that you've made. I'm ready to go. Lord, I'm ready to fight. Still not convinced. Okay, all right, anyway, thought we had some fun this morning, but uh, the key component here is what we've been talking about in the last few weeks is about being the fight. That in our relationship with God, whether we want to understand it or not, it's a fight. It's a battle every day when we're fighting knowing that in Christ that we've been chosen for a purpose. And as chosen for a purpose, we have to be willing to say, okay, Lord, it's not my strength, but your strength that gets me through to the fight. And so we have to be convinced that God has a purpose for us. I mean, we're reminded often and we're, we're, we're told often that, that, you know, we have what we have in Jesus Christ, but it's not how we feel that brings the commitment. It's not the how we feel that puts the gloves on. It's not, it's not the how we feel when we put these gloves on and we know that they're padded up and we have some protection right here when we throw a punch. But it's the idea that this is something that we have to throw jabs at the enemy because he's always hitting us with the face. He's hitting us and we have to still stand because his job is not simply to get us to go down for the count. His job is to destroy us. He hates us. The Bible says he wants to kill us because he doesn't want us to make an impact. He doesn't even allow for one jab. It's kind of like a coach on the side of football wants to run up the score, even though the other team is having a really hard time. I don't want to just beat them. I want to destroy them. I want to show them how good we are. That's the, the attitude that the enemy has towards us. He's always throwing jabs. Remember, he's pounding, he's pounding, he's pounding, he's pounding, he's pounding because he doesn't want us to make any impact or be an influence in the lives of anyone, not anyone, because he hates us. And so why it's so important for us to understand that our relationship with God and stepping in the ring, we have to be willing to fight. We have to be willing to go in there confident. We have to be willing to know that it's not our strength. And even if we don't feel it, it's a commitment. And it's in those later rounds when it's tough, those are the times that it counts. Because then God shows his strength more than ever. And when we get through it, we know that God is the one who's getting us through it. It's those times when we're down and out, and we're not sure if we're going to make it through. And it's God who comes in and says, I will carry you through. 
But you got to do one thing. You got to be willing to keep punching. And when we are willing to keep punching, it's not your strength, it's my strength through you. And the punching is going to be different than what you're accustomed to. The punching is going to be something where you have to focus and say, okay, what am I going to do now? And God brings forth an approach that's different than just a physical bringing up your, 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 your hands up and throwing punches. The punch that we need to jab at Satan is our submission to God. That's a punch. That's a counter punch. And that's why we're talking the second week now, part two, is knowing how to counter punch. It's not our strength. It's not our ability. It's not our feeling. It's not our emotion. It's not the passion that we have. It's the Holy Spirit that works through us so that when we jab, it's the power of God that's jabbing through us. But that's why we're going to see even through the grammar of Ephesians 6 how specific it is about even when you're looking at a verb, the voice of the verb will tell you who has to be the one working at that moment. And so we'll talk about that. But it's the fight. It's the fight. It's getting set on your feet. It's having the balance and the rhythm, your core ready. We talked about it last week. We talked about the core of the truth. We talked about the belt and the loins of truth and the, and the breastplate of righteousness. We talked about the comfortable shoes. And now this week we're going to walk into two more pieces of the armor of God. Remember, Ephesians is broken into two parts in the book, six chapters. The first three is the theology of proper. The second three is the theology of practice. And we understand, too, that Paul was the one who ministered there for three years after setting it up in the third missionary journey and then handing it off to Timothy for 18 months. Timothy, who fought the good fight, Agone, the pain, he fought the good fight. He fought because he had a fight against false teachers. And that's where the enemy used false teachers who presented truth. It was a presentation of it looked good. It sounded good because you could amen it when you experienced it. But behind it, underlying it, was not truth. It was false. It were lies, deceptions, manipulation. He's an adversary. He'll work that way. He's an angel of light. So when we understand, we have to be ready to take on the armor of God. So we're going to say again, and we counterpunch our contender, our enemy, our opponent, by the following. First thing we need to do is we need to be committed to our shield. Let me just talk a little bit about this shield. Now, we're going to look at Ephesians chapter 6. We've been in this passage from 10 through 18. We've worked, been working the last two weeks through the first five verses. We're now in verse 6. And we'll stay there, or 16, the, the sixth verse this week. And what we're going to do is talk about the 16th verse, just one verse this week, and then go into part of 17. But 16 talks about the shield of faith. And it says, in all circumstances, now let me go, let me stop there because we have to talk about that for just a minute. The word all circumstances, in all circumstances, which Really, in the Greek, it means to say besides or in addition to all. So the first three pieces of the armor of God were laid out. And now Paul's reiterating it. He's saying, no, wait, hold on. It's not just three pieces now. Let me give you another three. And he lays out three more because the armor needs to be the full armor of God. If you look at verse 10 and 11, put on the full armor of God, not parts of it but the full armor. And he's reiterating it because the importance, the significance of it, the intentionality of it, that we need to put it on. It's not optional. These are imperatives. These are 
important words here with important armor for each of us in our walk with God. And so as important as it is to have them, these additional pieces of armor reflect the virtues and attitudes of the believer in their practice. So as we look at even these next three, and we'll look at two today, he's reminding the believer and using the soldier lingo and metaphors, but also we can know that the word fight also is athletic, so we can say boxing or wrestling, because our fight is not against flesh and blood. We don't wrestle against flesh and blood. An athletic term there telling us that we have to think about our opponent and study our opponent. So he says, he says, in all circumstances, take up. Now here again, using the word from verse 13 to 16, take up. And as I stated last week, the word is the same, the same verb. It's an aorist active, meaning God has provided everything necessary, all the armor of God. Now what we need to do is we need to actually take it up. So it's not that we're taking it up and it's our action, it's our abilities. It's God giving us the ability to power to take it up and now go into war. And so there's an effort there, and that effort is to use that which. So when I grab these gloves, you know, these are gloves that I use to protect my hands, but also to punch the opponent and to knock him down, because that's the goal, that's the purpose, that's the strategy, is to knock that opponent down, to get him for a 10 count. Now, these will keep my hands from being broken. They'll protect me. They're taped up. Usually your hands are taped up before you put these gloves on. But years ago when they boxed, they fought and they wrestled. They didn't have boxing gloves. It wasn't a sport, as I said last week. It was a life or death situation. When they fought, they fought with their bare hands and some would even use something close to a brass knuckle and they would rip out the skin and they would kill their opponent. Because their goal wasn't just to simply knock them down, it was to destroy their opponent. Now let me tell you something, that's what Satan is doing. His jabs are not boxing gloves. His jabs are bare knuckle, brass knuckles. He wants to tear you and I up. He wants to tear our flesh off. He wants to destroy us. He wants to kill us. And I don't know about you, but where I grew up, if someone tried to challenge me, hands up. You, saw, you see what I'm saying? You're going to challenge me. My hands are up. I might lose, but I'll lose with my hands up, and I'll lose punching. I won't back down if there's a challenge. But the idea is that you and I can't go into the ring and go, oh, please. I'm going to get you. I'm going to get you. And you start to punch, and then you, don't hit me. Don't hit me. And you run away. We can't have that. And the confidence comes when we're in the ring with the equipment that God has given us. And we got to take it up. we got to put the gloves on. we got to put the armor on. we got to be willing to do that. And so he's saying, take it up. The shield of faith. And the idea of the shield of faith is real simple. There were two types of shields. There was one that was a circular shield that they would use for parades. The people would see the strength of the Roman army and the empire, and it would be one that had etchings, engravings. It would look pretty. It would be for ceremonies. And some would even believe that what was etched in that particular shield was past or previous victorious military campaigns to show their strength. But that wasn't the shield that he was talking about. In fact, the word shield in this particular setting was the word that he used in the Greek for door. Because this shield was four feet long and two feet wide. So it was almost like a door opening. And it would cover your entire body to protect you from battle, from your opponent. 
and would be able to protect you from any of the things that come, all the fiery darts and the arrows. But here's what was it made of. It was made of animal hide that was tightly woven together, and it would be six layers of it. It would be a backing of wood, but it would be six layers so that it would protect the, the opponent or protect the, the soldier from their opponents. And some would even believe, scholars believe that it was as strong as steel. So all six layers laid together. But here was the key. The soldier had to care for it. That was the key. They had to take care of it to maintain it. How did they maintain it? They'd have a small vial of oil, and they would rub down the leather from the front and the back, and just making sure that it was all soft and pliable and flexible. Because if they did not do that, then in the midst of battle, if they didn't care for their shield, then it would be brittle and tough and rigid. And then all in some cases, they said that shields, when the soldiers didn't do that, they would fall apart into pieces. Now, if you're a soldier, you're out to battle, and it's a life or death situation, you have to protect your life, what do you think they're going to do? Well, the smart soldier will take care of his shield and make sure it's oiled down well and cared for. Well, how do we relate this to our walk with Christ? Sometimes we as Christians are not caring for our shields the shield of faith. We're not protecting. We're not putting the oil on, making it soft and pliable. Without the touch of the Holy Spirit in our lives, our faith becomes brittle, tough, rigid. When we ignore our faith and walk with, in our walk with Christ on a consistent basis, our faith will not only not be soft and pliable, but it will be ineffective. It won't be influential. It won't make an impact People won't see the difference in you and I. What's the difference between you and I in the world? If it's you and I or someone else in the world, if it's between a believer in Christ and those who are far away from God, what's the difference? If we ignore our relationship with God and not be consistent in caring for our relationship with God and our faith, if we're not consistently walking with God, praying, seeking and chasing, hunting and reading his scriptures, are we going to expect God to be some genie in the, in the heavens and wave his, wave his wand and saying, okay, you're going to be instantaneously God, godly? Well, of course not. With our faith, we have to care for it. We have to maintain it. We have to make sure that we're flexible and soft and pliable so that when the enemy attacks, we're ready for his attack. How often why marriages are going down, childrens are walking away and astray, and why we see so many Christians not being any different than the world, it's because we're not caring for our faith. And that's kind of what he's saying here. The shield of faith is for that. Yes, it's been given to us. We're to take it up. But we're to take care of it. And it's our responsibility, but it's not our strength. It's God's strength that he does it because it won't work. That's when you see with which you can, going on with the verse, the word can is an important word because it's the word dunamis, where we get the word dynamite, which it means explosive dynamite power. God gives us the power to be able to do what? The next word, to extinguish. And that word means to cause an action, state, or faculty to cease or to function or exist, to quench, to put out. So God gives us the ability, the explosive power to extinguish. To extinguish what? All the flaming darts of the evil one. Now, one thing that they did with the shield is they saturated it with water. Why? Because when the fiery darts came, they were able to repel them. 
the water was able to be saturated so in that shield that fire could not even start on it. Three kinds of arrows they had back in that day. The arrow that we'd, we'd commonly use today is the bow and arrow, which was regularly used in combat. Then there was another one, one that had been dipped in tar and then set afire, and then they shoot it in the air. And then the last one was an arrow that was slender pieces of cane and filled with combustible fluids, which exploded on contact. These were the three different types. And the soldier had to keep his shield of faith cared for because he knew the arrows were coming. How about us? Do we know that the enemy is shooting arrows at us? Yes. Because he'll keep pounding and pounding and pounding and pounding and pounding. He wants to destroy your marriage. He wants to destroy your effect, any effect that you can have in the world. He wants to destroy your influence, your impact, because he hates you. And he hates me. And when we're on the front lines, we are in a battle. We're fighting. We got to get our hands up. We got to keep jabbing. Even if we don't like it, even if it hurts, even if we don't have the energy, we got to cry out to God and say, God, give me the energy to get through this trial. Because it's God who gives us the ability. If we complain and say, Lord, I can't do this anymore, he goes, I know you can't. That's why it's my strength. I know you can't get through this trial. That's why I'm here for you. That's why I'm giving you, infusing you the power of the Holy Spirit to do it. And that's where God is at work. So in the normal battle, the arrows would be shot, the first type of arrows. But what the enemy would do in battle against the Roman soldiers or against the opponents, they would shoot those fiery ones, the ones that would explode and compact, impact me. And what happened was when it would go over the wall, those who would see arrows coming over would think, oh, it's just a regular arrow. It's not going to hit me. But when it landed in the camp... It exploded and destroyed and killed many people. And that's what the enemy does. He doesn't just want you down for the count. He wants to kill you. And that's what ends up happening. Because too often, we have to be careful that we could ignore those arrows and not do it well. You know, it's kind of like in boxing. I, I haven't been looking for it, but Rocky's been showing up on TV. I'm switching and then you got the Rocky 1, 2, 3, 4, 5. They got Rocky Balboa. You go TBS or any of those, show, you know, those channels. And Rocky 4 was on. So I was like, let me watch the intro because I know all these by heart. I can say some of the lines. And my son's like, Dad, be quiet. You're talking too much. But here's the thing that I'm sitting there, and at the beginning, Ivan Dragov comes to the scene. Apollo wants to come back after five years of retirement. He's thinking about, I'm Apollo Creed. I've retired more people than Social Security. And so he would sit there and taunt and just say, I'm the man. And he would always taunt at all those, those, those presentations. But what happened was he wanted to get into the ring without training, without preparing, without doing what he was supposed to do. And what happened, he gets into the ring and Rocky says, hey, I think we should maybe give it a couple of weeks here. Let's get to know our opponent. Let's study him. Find out how he fights, what particular fighting technique is he going to use and strategy. Let's look at some tapes. Let's look at him. He's like, no, 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 no. I'm in the best shape of my life. I could do this. I don't need to train. I don't need to do anything. I'm just going to go in there, and I'm going to fight. I'm going to be Apollo Creed. I've, man, I'm, I'm Apollo Creed. But what happened was when Apollo Creed went in there, we know the ending. All the hype and the glory and the passion couldn't save his life. His past couldn't save his life. His past experiences couldn't save his life. He jumped in and he died. 
And there's some truth to that story. Although it's just a story in a movie, there's some truth to it. You need to be prepared. You need to care for your faith. You can't just go into the ring and expect to fight, and God's just going to wave his wand on you, and you're going to be instantaneously godly. God has called us to do better than that. And that's why, because the enemy's going to attack. He's going to attack three Ps, your pride, your personal freedoms, and your past. And that's why it's important for us to get our hands up. Even in the Old Testament, Genesis 15, 1, it says, After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. And Abram said, and God said, the Lord said what? Abram, I am your shield. I'm the one who can protect you. Your reward shall be very great. Even in 1 Peter, Peter mentioned to those who were dying because of their faith when Rome, Rome was killing Christians just because they were Christians. He said this. He said, be sobered, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. Similarly today, we're struggling, not as just this nation, but a world, trying to get out of this invisible virus, this world, this routine, this so-called new normal. But the fight is still there. So we counterpunch our contender by being committed to our shield of faith. Two, we're being covered with the helmet of salvation. So two, we counterpunch it with being covered with the helmet of salvation. Ephesians 6, 17 simply says this, and take the helmet of salvation. Not very difficult to read, not very difficult to accept. In fact, in the Greek, it'll tell you that what is a helmet? A piece of armor tightly around your head. You're probably like, duh, Bruno, of course. Well, okay, okay. yes, it's true. I'm just going to confirm it with the Greek that it's a helmet that's on top of your head, but it was to cover and protect. It wasn't just for the parade and the show. It was to protect because... Back then, the soldier needed to cover their head because their opponent had a short-handled axe called a battle axe that would cut their heads off and heads would be rolling for real. And that was the battle. So how does this relate to our walk with Christ? Satan wants to chop our minds and the blessings and benefits of our salvation in Christ. He wants to chop at it. Let me just share some of those things that he wants to chop at. You know, I, I just wrote some things here. And this is important for us to grasp and realize who we are in Jesus Christ. Who am I in Christ? I am God's child, John 1, 12. I've been justified, Romans 5, 1. I've been bought with a price. I belong to God, 1 Corinthians 6, 20. I've been adopted as God's child, I have been redeemed and forgiven of all my sins. I am complete in Christ. Do you believe that? Amen. Do you believe that? It's offered to you. Amen? It's, it's who you and I are in Christ. Those who are in Christ, we are God's child. So when the enemy says, you're not a child of God, I am a child of God because of what Christ did for me on the cross. He died on the cross for my sin, and it's because of him, and it has nothing to do with me. That's where our strength comes. That's when I'm starting to jab and going after the enemy and saying, you're right, but you know what? I may be down, but I'm still a child of God because it's eternal security. We got to understand, I'm secure in Christ. I'm no longer condemned. When Satan comes and tries to accuse me or put me down, I got to say, no, I am no longer condemned. I'm a child of God. 
I can't be separated from God. I am sealed with the Holy Spirit forever. If he says, you're not a child of God, no, I'm sealed, not because of what I've done, but what God has done. I'm a citizen of heaven. I'm born of God, and the evil, man, evil one can't touch me, 1 John 5, 18. I've been chosen. I'm seated in Christ in the heavenly realms. I am God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. This is what we need to do. That's why the helmet of salvation, we got to speak it. Because Satan is coming and attacking. He's going to keep pounding and pounding and pounding and pounding and pounding. And we got to realize that the helmet of salvation is telling us, no, in the name of Jesus, no, in the name of Jesus, no, in the name of Jesus. That's what our counterpunch is. It's not something we can do. It's what Christ has already done. And we stand in it. We stand firm in it. We stand firm in our faith. Rick Renner, I feel like I'm boxing right now. Rick Renner, who from the book Dress to Kill said this, by exposing our unprotected mind to the devil's lying insinuations, you are placing yourself in a position to be deceived. In fact, to face the adversary without your helmet of salvation is equivalent to spiritual suicide. And I think that's what we have to understand. We're in a battle. We're in a fight. And the enemy doesn't want to do only one thing, kill and destroy. And that's why we have to understand that the helmet of salvation is there to fight off the fiery darts of the devil. And those darts will come. Now, what are those darts? Well, in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 3 through 5, it's known to be strongholds that we have in our lives. Let me just share a couple moments here. For 2 Corinthians 10, 3 and 5 says, For though we walk in the flesh, we are not waging war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey Christ. Well, let me just explain when he says destroy strongholds, because the counterpunch that when we're covered with the helmet of salvation, one of the things that the enemy will do is that we have strongholds called rational strongholds. If you see that verse in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, 3 through 5, in the first part of 5, it says to destroy arguments. The word arguments is in the Greek the word logic. And when you see that word, you're destroying a stronghold of rational strongholds or logical mind, logical thinking. And what do I mean by that? Meaning it's a great thing to have a logical mindset. Like when you see something, you're working through it and saying, logically speaking, this is what should happen. You go by past experience, you're saying, well, I know how to deal with this because I've done it before. Or this is truly universally, this is how people respond to it. And that's all great. It's great to have that. But if it's not submitted under the lordship of Christ as a Christian, you and I will tend to lean on our own wisdom. We'll lean on our own understanding. We'll lean on our own idea of what we think is logical. Because walking with God is not always logical. <laughs> walking with God, when he calls us to things, it's not always the case. Like if God calls you to something and you're looking at your numbers by budget and finances, you're like, um, God, uh, this is not fitting my budget. Can you make sure it fits my budget? Then I might say yes to you. But it, logically speaking, Lord, it doesn't make any sense. God's like, I didn't ask you to look at your budget. I just asked you to obey me. But Lord, I'm still, it's not a wise thing to do this. Just trust me, I have a plan. See, logically, when we're leaning too much on our own wisdom, God's saying, 
that can be a stronghold. That can stop us from making decision that we need to make. It means, it means to calculate, to reason, to reflect, to think through. It's a process. And that could be troubling. But here's another type of stronghold. Sometimes it could be irrational strongholds. And irrational strongholds are composed of unrealistic fears and worries. Remember, 85% of what we worry doesn't even happen in our lives. You ever think of that? Uh, these spheres are often created by what we see in other people. Go through social media, and then you start to create some kind of scenario in your own life. Oh, my gosh, that's going to happen to me. Look. And you just go through it in your mind, and it starts to just rattle in your mind because now, all of a sudden, there's a fear of death, a fear of cancer, a fear of disease, a fear of marriage, a fear of your marriage going down, your jobs, your children, maybe someone's going to rob you, financial debts, and bankruptcy. And then we could imagine all these others, fear of rejection, the fear to fail, the fear of inadequacies, the fear of not being needed, the fear of being useless, unforgiveness, unconfessed sin, and then the need to be affirmed. I mean, that just continues to go down the road. And then the last one is oppression. We can just be totally dominated with oppression. In fact, part of the Greek word in oppression, you have the word dunamis. So it's a super powerful dynamite power to bring you down. Because oppression is when we're totally feeling failure, rejection, helplessness, and hopelessness. There's just no way out. There's just anything you do is not worth it because you'll never get out of your problem. And you're dominated with that. That's the idea. In fact, in Acts 10, 38, when Paul was speaking, he's like, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit with power. He went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. So the idea is that, you know, you're being controlled. But what do we need to be controlled by? I think it's a, a third thing here. How do we counterpunch the enemy? Being controlled with a sound mind. Being controlled with a sound mind. So when you're in these strongholds, in rational, irrational, or oppression, the way that we can battle back and punch back is through a sound mind. You know, 2 Corinthians, the last part of verse 5, it says, and take every thought captive to obey Christ. Let me break it down real quick. It says this, the word thought is the word that you find in 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 11. It means devices. It's part of the mind. Satan and his devices to play mind games. So the thought is that sometimes the enemy is not our problem. Sometimes we're boxing ourselves. I know that sounds kind of strange. You have vision boxing yourself because you get so mad at yourself because all the thoughts that are going through your mind, you're fighting yourself. You and I become our worst enemy. And what happens is the thoughts start to consume you. So what Paul is saying is you got to take every thought, even the thoughts that could consume you and fight against yourself, and hold it captive. And the word captive means to take a spear and hold it to someone else's back. Like, I got you. I got you captive right now. And then the word obey means this. It means being, forcing someone into a subordinate position and then making him listen to you. State of compliance. So every thought is to be held captive with the spirit to the back under the power of the Holy Spirit, under obedience to Christ. 
subordination, submission. So every thought, anything that we are in above ourselves, if we try to place ourselves above Christ or try to lift ourselves up, God's saying any thought has to be captive unto Christ. These mind games must be submissive to the lordship of Christ. I think, I think oppression is just driven by comparison. I think oppression is when I'm not good enough. I look at someone else, look on social media. I look at other people and how well they're doing. And I look at myself and I say, oh, I'm not doing so well. But God didn't call us to that, right? God didn't call us to compare ourselves to anyone else. God called us to compare ourselves to the Holy One who is himself, to the righteous one, to the one who's truth. And when we compare ourselves, we're never better or less than. We're always in the presence of God. We compare ourselves to the Lord. And then what do we do? We see that Christ was offered to us. And now we're on the same playing field. We're justified. We're not condemned. We're chosen of God, bought with a price. We belong to him. And then when we are, then now God is saying, I love you. You're mine. I have everything for you, everything you need. So you know what? Don't look to the left or the right. I got you. I got your back. And that's the whole idea that when a sound mind says, I know who I am in Jesus Christ. It's like this. It says, you know, for, for God has given us not a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and self-control. The word is sound mind. Titus 2, verse 1, but as for you, teach what's accordance or accords to with sound doctrine. So a sound mind starts with sound doctrine. And sound, healthy, sober doctrine is the person and work of Jesus Christ. Then he goes on in verse 2 of Titus 2. Older men, be sober-minded, dignified, self-controlled. Again, sober-minded, the same word in the Greek. Sound in faith, meaning have a sound mind. Sound doctrine leads to a sound mind. And then it goes out into sound living. And in verse 8, and sound speech that cannot be condemned so that an opponent may not put you to shame, having nothing evil to say to you, which is the false teachers. So here, how do you combat? How do you counterpunch Satan? With a sound mind. But a sound mind comes from a sound doctrine that leads to a sound mind that leads to sound living. It's a trilogy. It's just simply this. I call it the trinity of walking with Christ. Because sound doctrine comes from what? Christ himself, what he's done for us. And it changes our hearts and our minds. It protects us from the enemy. It puts that helmet on us, the helmet of salvation. And then we could spurt out all these things that we are in Christ. So when Satan is thrown, not if, if, but when he throws the darts and keeps throwing them, believe me, you can be strong on the front line, excited. That's when he really attacks. He gets the third kind of arrow, the one that explodes on contact. And he says, boom, I'm coming after you. You're going to ignore me one day, and I'm coming after you. That's what he does. So we have to get our hands up, ready to fight, counterpunch, with some salvation, some terms, sound mind. Any strongholds, rational, irrational oppression, sound mind. That's how we fight back. But here's this last thing. God, you got to understand, in the late rounds when it's tough, you've seen all those Rocky movies. You know when he's, hey, yo, Mick, cut me. When he cut him and he couldn't even see and he had to cut his eye just so that he could see. And he did. And he was able to see to get to that last round because that's when it counts. Because when God will carry us through the late rounds because or but, we need to keep on punching. Even when our hands feel like 100 pounds, even when we don't have another breath, we're tired, we're exhausted. God's saying, hands up, you got to keep punching. But not with my strength, Lord, with yours. When you're going through a trial and you're struggling, you can't do it anymore, you say, God, I need your strength. And you lean on God. He gives you what you need. 
And see, that's why in the last part in Ephesians or chapter 4, he, he alluded to the same thing here. He said, but that is not the way you learned Christ. He's talking to the believer who was once walking in his Gentile way. Assuming that you have heard about him and you were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus. To put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt throughout deceitful desires. And to be renewed in the spirit of your mind. And to put on the new self, created after the likeness of God and true righteousness and holiness. So what is he saying here? Where the learned Christ is contrasting what you had from the old self. The word heard means an heiress active. You hear something, but taught is a passive because God is doing the work. And then Paul throws three infinitives that would almost be an, an imperative. And he says this, put on your old self, heiress middle, meaning we have to do it. The renewed, to renew, be renewed in the spirit of your minds is a passive, present passive, which means that God is doing it on an ongoing process. He's renewing our minds, but we need to submit. And then lastly, he says, put on your new self, aorist middle. Because the last part of 24 is this. It's real simple. He says, then he goes on. Here's the purpose of the believer. And to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Because the word created is an heiress passive. It's God's work. That's what it comes down to. See, the fight isn't about whether we feel good, our emotions, whether I want to fight again or not, whether I'm tired of fighting. God's saying, I've given you everything you need. You have the armor. I've given you every ability, every source of equipment. I've given you the strength. I've given you all you need. All you have to do is just get up, take it up, and fight. And God will give us the strength. That's how we get through trials. That's how we get through attacks. That's how we go through battles. We might lose a few rounds, but we'll never lose the fight because Christ is an overcomer. But we have to realize that in our walk during this time, especially in this time of getting back to some kind of normalcy, people afraid to come out, people afraid to get with other people. There's this fear, this sense of imprisonment sense of just like, it's just, it's set in. We have to realize God's called us to the fight. We're not imprisoned. We're not isolated. God's called us to fight. And we have to work through these strongholds and believe God for that. So how about you this week? What will it take? What will it take for you to get your hands up? I know you're tired. I know you're exhausted. I know you're emotionally exhausted, physically exhausted, spiritually exhausted. I want to encourage you today. God has what you need to get through the fight. Take a moment. Let's pray. Father, thank you for reminding us it is a fight. It's a battle. Sometimes, Lord, we feel like these strongholds have consumed us, whether it's a rational stronghold, an irrational one, Whatever the case may be, it could be even oppression. God, I thank you that you've given us sound doctrine, sound mind. You've given us the shield of faith. We have to be committed to it. You've given us the helmet of salvation. We need to know it's covered. And Lord, I pray that through this, that we know that when we're tired and we're exhausted and we're in the late rounds, you're still going to encourage us to keep fighting, keep punching. So, Lord, I pray that this week we'll rest in knowing, study this passage again, surrender our lives to you, and fight. 
Lord, thank you for reminding us of how important that is. Because, Lord, it is a fight through this culture that we're living in right now. I pray for our nation. I pray for us as Christians that we can make an impact. But I pray that before we complain, before we say that, hey, you know what? I'm tired of what's going on around me. I pray that we will fight in prayer. We'll fight to submit. So God, thank you again for all that you're going to do this week. May your name be glorified in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen.